Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Elizabeth Reese. I'm Marjorie Punnett. And this is Best to the Nest, the podcast that is all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. And we're talking parenting today, Marjorie. Which we do often. And I found this great article in uh, Today's Parenting. And it's so funny, Elizabeth. Okay, so the headline was 10 Things Our Parents Did That Parents Today Should Bring Back. Mm. So I'm thinking like... The 1930s, 1940s. (laughs) I have lost perspective on time. And they're calling it vintage parenting. And guess what? That's when I was parenting. I'm the vintage parent. You're a vintage parent. It's so weird to me. (laughs) Because you have grown up children who are technically, I mean, really appropriately old enough to have their own children. You know that. they're, they're They're 29 and 27. Yeah. And it would still feel kind of young, but that's not out of the ordinary now. No, I had a, I had two babies by the time I was 30. <laughs> it's so weird to me. In my head, Elizabeth, they're 15 and 13. Like, yeah, they're permanently stuck there. You yeah. know, though, that's what's happening. The 90s are coming back. I mean, oh, 90s God. fashion is coming back. Things that we wore. I'm on these text chains with yeah. some of my girlfriends from college, and we are sending each other, like, photos of things that are in stores now that are the things that we would wear in high school and college, well, and high me, school was the late '90s. Give me a a quick description. I can't even remember what would have defined '90s fashion. Oh gosh, like these Steve Madden shoes were just oh. ubiquitous. They were yep. everywhere, and they were like those platform sandals yep. with one strap all the way across, and you could have them in multiple <laughs> colors too. And if you really had the box, then you had the regular real Steve Madden ones. But then of course, like Target did knockoffs. Of Everybody course. did knockoffs and they were just these straight across platform, not like a wedge, just a straight across yeah. platform. I know just what sandal. you're talking about. That's and so, so funny. Those have been going back and even like, like Adidas sandals were very big oh. and I'm, I'm trudging around in Adidas sandals in my house. So is my husband. I mean, and those were like yep. those soccer sandals that were super hot when I was in high school. Oh, that's so funny. But today we're talking about nineties parenting, which is exactly when I was parenting. My children were born in 1991 and 1993. And so I thought it would be fun to sort of compare. Now the author makes the point that parenting is so different now than it was when we were parenting in the 90s. So she lists these 10 things. I don't think it's that different. Like, And that'll be interesting for us to go through it together. So 10 things our parents did that parents today should bring back. Okay. The first one, Elizabeth, is put each other first. I think you're particularly good at this in your marriage. But she makes the point that parents... Uh, in the 90s, were very conscious about making sure that they preserved their unit as opposed to putting the children first. Like they prioritized their marriage as yeah. opposed to uh, putting their children first. Now, for me, that was really, really hard. That um, is hard. I think it's. I think it can be. I'm going to generalize here, but I'm just going to yeah. do it. I think that can be harder for mothers Absolutely. than it can be for fathers. 
And then fathers are sometimes left thinking, well, wait a second. I thought it was going to be us against them. And then now it's everyone against me. I'm not saying that's happened in my house, but maybe it's happened in my house. (laughs) (laughs) It was really, really hard for me because when my kids were little, I was working a lot. Yeah. And so there was a lot of that guilt of I'm away from them all week. I shouldn't take we shouldn't we shouldn't go out alone because we should both be home because we've been working and my husband was adamant we both worked in downtown chicago at the time and he was adamant that on friday night we just had their sitter stay longer and we would meet after work and go to dinner yeah and we would just go out and it was great cuz we both worked in downtown chicago so we could go to really great restaurants and it was like the first couple of times was super hard for me and then it was like this is great you know it was just <laughs> I got over it really fast, but I I think that's a good one. Yeah, that is a good one. And it is the date night thing I think is important. And, but even more so, I mean, even, even on a bigger level than just your relationship, I think that idea, and I felt like this growing up, I never felt like we were the center of my parents' universe. It's good. I felt like my parents had their stuff going on and then, and then we had to kind of figure it out. I, I, you know, sometimes I look back and think I might've benefited from a little less fend for yourself. Um, but I mean, I was parented in the eighties. So, you know, right. in the eighties, it was You're like, lefty. you didn't have seatbelts. You never had a babysitter. You rode in the back of a truck with no, you safety. know, no safety whatsoever. I never remember my parents packing any sort of snack for me on any outing. I never leave the house without 15 <laughs> snacks. And all this stuff. I mean, so... You know, it's so funny that you say that about snacks because everybody in my house makes fun of me because I can pull something out of a pocket at any time. Like, I can pull a clementine out. I can pull a snack bar out. But maybe it goes back to, like, I'm afraid to be hungry. Yeah. And maybe that's because my parents... The idea of my parents packing a snack for me... Laughable. Is insane (laughs) that they would have put, like, little grapes in a baggie for me. I mean, by the time I was in fourth grade, I was taking the bus around Chicago by myself. I'm not kidding. <laughs> so, yeah. So maybe, we got to find like a little bit of balance. Yeah, a little bit of balance is balance. good. Okay. What and else do parents of today need to do that the parents of the 90s did? They need to make kids play outside. Oh, yeah. And this is where these articles, and it's just, a, you know, I think the writer's name is Becky Square. It's her perspective. I think there are lots of places in this country where kids are still playing outside. Oh, my kids play outside all the time. Yeah. I mean, if you're in the middle of Brooklyn or downtown Chicago or a big major city where you're in the in the heart of a city, you're in the heart of a city, but you know what I mean? Yeah, I think the there are some kids. We got parks. We got a swing. We put a saucer swing out front. It's unbelievable. Yeah. This I don't think has changed that much. I think sometimes when you're older, you tend to romanticize the past. And I, my kids played outside. Your kids played outside. I think that's important. Now, I will say the one thing I loved from my son when he was in preschool is he went to a preschool, preschool called Cornflakes. And it was an outdoor preschool. The kids did not stay inside. And I will tell you, they don't do it anymore. He was one of the last years that they were doing it. And we've talked about this on the podcast. That was the greatest thing ever. Those kids were trudging around that little town we lived in. And they limited how long they could be inside. Rain, snow, shine. You'd see them in the winter bundled up on a rope making their way to the beach. 
Yeah. It yeah. Was, and, that's good stuff. And Gar would come home so tired. That was the joy of it. He'd come home and take a nap. It was beautiful. And he was Turbo Kid. He was Turbo Kid. They wore him out. Okay. The third one, this is from a writer who says, these are the things that parents did in the 90s. She's calling it vintage parenting. I know. Uh, I know. That's what happens, though. I know. Uh, she said in the 90s, parents trusted their children, that we, yeah. that your generation ought to trust their children. No, I know. And that's a really hard thing. We talk a lot about, as our kids get a little bit older, how far are they going to be able to go? Are they going to be allowed to walk to the Dairy Queen? Are they going to be allowed to walk to, you know, all these different places? And it is a difficult conversation because we had the full run of the neighborhood as kids. I mean, yeah. and again, this is going back even further vintage than the 90s. This is the 80s. And the early 90s, I mean, I could go anywhere. And nobody wanted to see me until there was dinner. I mean, it was like, see you later. I don't even remember if we had a babysitter. I don't know what happened. Um, but so it was, you know, you could just go anywhere that you wanted. And then now I feel like it's, I got all this, like, you got to look at the yard, you know, stay in the yard. And there's a lot of anxiety. And this is where this idea of trust your kids. So I did parent in the 90s. My kids weren't allowed to wander far from home until right. they but, were until they were almost eleven or twelve. Yeah, and but then, that's what happened after Jacob Wetterling's disappearance. Yeah. You know, in the state yeah. of Minnesota, when Jacob Wetterling was kidnapped, it was there is a marked difference. There is before that kidnapping, and there is after that kidnapping in terms of how parents were. And I remember being a kid; I was Jacob Wetterling's age, oh. and I remember learn hear, hearing what happened, and that was when the conversation started of you aren't safe. And if a car comes up to you, what right. do you do? Strange. I mean, all of these things. Like I remember my dad saying, you're better off running because even if they try to shoot you, they probably won't hit you <laughs> than getting in the car. Yes. Because if you get in the car, you're, you're dead. I mean, that is literally what yeah. my dad would say. And you know, I've talked about the straight talking Reverend Dr. Thomas Carl Reese before on this right. podcast. I mean, he right. wasn't messing around, but that was what he would say. And so Which I he was have right. that in my mind. He's right. Yes. All the safety experts, even if for adult women, they say, do whatever you can to not get in the car. Right. That that's sort of the beginning of the end if you get in the car. But I think what statistically bears out is, and and my sympathies obviously to families that have been through that, but it's very, it's very rare. It's very, it's very rare, rare, but we were really in this state of it's Panic. we thought it wasn't as rare because that's what happens when kind of your idyllic idea of yeah. what childhood is supposed to be is shattered by a really tragic event. It's terrible. What's, so, what's when I was growing up, Elizabeth, I grew up in the suburb of Chicago, which was pretty rural. I mean, I I could walk. I used to routinely run away from home. Whenever I was mad, I would run away from home at five and six. I can remember it vividly because my, my boundary was farmland. So we oh. lived in this little subdivision and then I would march my way out of the subdivision. And then when I would get to the farmland, I would yeah. stop. But I mean, just think about that at five, I'm marching out of my subdivision. <laughs> So yeah, that's not happening in my house. No, 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 no. With my little, I know. No, but but there were a lot of kids. We lived on a lake, and there were a lot of kids on our in this in this area. And exactly what you said was true for me growing up is out the door, come back at lunch, come back at dinner. Yeah. Don't want to see you in between that. And my mom actually had this old. It was an like it was an old school bell. 
that when dinner was ready, whether it was her or it. our babysitter, she would ring it and we would come home. Now, mind you, I'm like four. My oldest sister's nine. It's just this gaggle of kids running around. I mean, I don't. On a lake. You know why they didn't want you to come home is because they didn't have any snacks. That's right. That's why. They were like, we don't have anything. So just stay out. There's nothing here for you. There's gruel when you come in for dinner. That's what you get. Here's some potatoes. Oh, You're lucky to be alive. Here's some potatoes. Simultaneously, I love to make like the, the old days of your childhood sound the best and also the worst. It's <laughs> no middle ground. Okay, the next one. These are things, according to this writer, that parents did in the 90s that uh, she's recommending Elizabeth's generation, your generation do. Don't push academics. Yeah. She makes the point before 1980, the main focus of early elementary years was creativity and social skills. Children did not know how to read upon entering kindergarten. That is not true. And many didn't even know their alphabet. That is not true. In the 90s, my children both could read and both knew their alphabet by the time they went to kindergarten. So this one... But in the 80s, we didn't even have all-day kindergarten. In the 80s, you went in the morning or you went in the afternoon. You didn't go all day. It was like a three-hour deal, and it was just this barely kind of play-based thing. So I might make the argument that early then, like when I was in kindergarten, that was not the kind of stuff that was expected. Yeah. And, And then also, my sister was just talking to a Montessori teacher who said that really the focus on reading shouldn't begin until about second grade. That that idea of pushing and making sure that kids yeah. have to read by kindergarten is just not it's not really necessary and it and it can focusing on that can infringe on the play-based activities that they need to be doing in order to development. Like I think we've pushed it a little bit too far. Listen, I'm not an expert in education. I'm just saying. We're not experts in anything. So <laughs> we're journalists. We talked to experts. Barely. I'm barely. <laughs> I mean, really. I haven't been a working journalist in 15 years. You're holding on. You're holding yeah. on by your fingertips yeah. to journalism. <laughs> but That's no, true. you know, I think you're right. And, and that was the one thing that I loved about that outdoor play school. Mm-hmm. Because what it was all about was imagination, looking around, being aware. It was wonderful. And my kids, to your point, had half-day kindergarten. They did not have yeah. all-day kindergarten. And I do think... A long time ago, I think it was like podcast number five, we talked to a woman named Meredith Sinclair, who has her master's of education, and she wrote a book about being a playful family. And Mm -hmm. she's really interesting when you talk to her about how to raise playful kids. And in any – I think this is really important in the sense that if you're pushing your kids academically before – I would say before sixth grade – I mean, honestly, if there's a learning difficulty, that's one thing. Right. If your kids are doing fine, yeah. I think that's when you you have fun and, and 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 really let them sort of blossom in their own time. I think that's a really nice way to say that. And it and you know what? Being the smartest person in the class is not for every person. It is no. literally only for one person to be the smartest <laughs> person in the class. The rest of the people are not going to be and don't have to be. It's really freeing when you think like, oh, most people aren't going to be that. So it's really okay if I'm in the most. Well, and I think, let's be honest, the smartest person in the class is usually the most annoying. Yeah. (laughs) And that was always you. Exactly. 
<laughs> no, I was not always the smartest person in the room. I may have been the hardest working, but yeah. I don't think I was always the smartest. But I think I that, know, that, that might be equally as annoying. Who there knows? you go. I'll cop to that. I'll totally cop to that. But I think what's interesting is this is, I will tell you, in my hyper-competitive family, probably the sister that I admire most growing up was my sister Molly, who was super creative. Oh, yeah. And she and now it's so funny because we're here setting up the house for my mom and she's here helping me. She's she's very bright. I mean, obviously, that's a given. But yeah. she can sew. She's a beautiful oh. photographer. Yeah. She can quilt. She can every hobby that she loves. She does and she does it beautifully. But she's got this. She's really right. Right brain, left brain balanced. Mm. And it's really fun to see. And to be around her as an adult, I mean, we we had all these things that had to be fixed and we had to hem some curtains and I have a sewing machine. I've used it once. <laughs> and so I know I pull out my sewing machine and Molly can just do anything. Oh, and that's I, amazing. And I think that's, well, she's like you. I, I know, but I can't amazing. sew. I no, would like to be able to. But you can cook and you can, when you love something, you sort of explore it and you let yourself be in it. And mm. I find that I, like, as I've become an adult... Those are the people I absolutely love being around that have all of these interests and all of these passions. And I think sometimes if you over-focus on academics with your kids, you're going to deny them the things that will bring them joy as adults. Truth. So I just love that. So I really do. I agree. I don't know whether it's true comparison 90s now. I just think forever, allow your kids that space to develop those passions outside of academics. Yeah, It'll to be make who they are interesting people, you know, I think in the end. So in the 90s, this woman says that children were taught manners. Do you think that your generation is not teaching your kids good manners? Listen, we're we're manners focused. I mean, one thing that um, I am proud of in terms of how my children behave when we are places is that they always ask to be excused from the table. Oh, I like that Always. May I please be excused? May I please be excused? And um, well, I bet Franklin's and, so cute when he says oh, it. Oh, they're so cute when oh, they say it. Oh, can you record it. that for me? Yeah, I need, I need to. Because it's not like a control thing. It's more of a just a respect for the space, a respect for yep. the gathering. Yep. And then and then also an awareness that once you ask to be excused, like you got to go. And you don't get to come back and heckle everybody else who's still at the table. I mean, we have to say, once you're excused, you're out. <laughs> you're, you're done. you got to go. Like you got to either be you left here. the club. Right. So, you're either here and part of the activity or you're out and you're not like running around and climbing under the table and just wreaking havoc oh, upon that. the rest of us who want to enjoy a glass right. of wine for the love of God. So that's <laughs> Let how me it goes. Drink. If- <laughs> but I do really like that. And people are always impressed. You know, yeah, you know, they're always way. like, oh, my gosh, your child says that I do. You know, we're big on thank you and please yeah. and um well, and manners and just just being respectful of people and their things. I, I mean, I think that's manners. <laughs> the uh, punnet version of manners was always quite controversial because we had something in our house called politeness money. We paid our kids oh, until wow. it was habit. So when they were little, if we heard them say please or thank you, they got a dime. Wow. And if, oh, they could rack up the politeness money. I mean, it was arbitrary. We would say we would not really pay attention. They'd be like, yeah. you have $5 worth of politeness money. And it was so funny because we did it when they were super little. And then it just becomes habit. And then the politeness yeah. money went away. And then it like as a gag when they'd be like 12, we'd be like, 
you've been really, you know, then it was just funny. But people always found that really abhorrent. And I think it was really kind of genius because they, as young children, they were buttoned up. Yeah. And, and it just, you know, it just taught that they, they really, and now they're very polite. I mean, it's, it's funny, even as adults, they just, they never forget because it's It's so ingrained in them. When I think about manners though, I also often, I guess I hadn't thought about this until now that it is almost like a, it's a confidence booster for kids because if they know the things to say, they can feel comfortable in any situation navigating um, society where sometimes I think we're looking at manners as like, oh, you're just, you have to be this certain way and no. you're trying to mold them. It really, it's, it's another kind of like a boundary leads to freedom sort of a situation. What it is, is, and this is why we felt so strongly about it because we were also bringing our kids to a lot of public appearances. Yeah. They, we needed them to be polite. Right. And so we sort of looked at it as, I look at it as social ease. Please, thank you. How are you? I am yeah. fine. Yeah. It's a little script until they can sort of go free. You know, they can sort of do it on their own. It's a little mm-hmm. script that they can follow. Teaching them how to shake a hand. Yeah. Our kids would always shake hands. They would. My always... kids are never going to learn that. They're growing up in COVID. How do you think they're going to learn oh, that? Funny. They're not even going to be handshaking. They have to learn Elbow. to just like. They have to look to learn to smile with masks on. I just can't. It's just too upsetting. But that was the other thing too, is learning to look somebody in the eyes. Like Mm -hmm. in our house, greeting someone and sort of wiggling and sort of looking away or making a, or making it awkward was unacceptable. That was absolutely unacceptable. You shake a hand, you look them in the eye. I mean, you've worked with my son. He looks you in the eye. I know. They both do. <laughs> they, they both, both do. do. So They're wonderful. Manners. I think that's one's important. But pay your kids. Totally works. It won't go on forever. <laughs> okay. The next one is in the 90s, eat dinner as a family. This is so easy for you. It's this Well, is, it's very important. Yeah, yeah. It's it's important. I mean, my best nights are when things go according to plan and Jay picks up the kids I come home, make dinner, they walk in, and we've got a great dinner ready to go. It, I mean, it doesn't happen every night by any means because we're just it, – it just doesn't work with the schedule. But those are the most stress-free, fun nights at our house. How long do you think on a good night – how long do you sit at the table? Oh, like 20 minutes, 25 minutes. Oh, that's great, Elizabeth. And we might sit a little bit longer because that's everybody's great. asking for more stuff. <laughs> Can I have some strawberries? Can I have where can I have this? You forgot to get me a spoon. Can I have some more water? This is happening. Someone's always sometimes so- I do say at the table, why am I the last person to get to take a bite of food at this in this place? Honestly. You are so a mother of three. <laughs> Make kids do their chores. This woman says, this writer says that that's what we did in the nineties, and she thinks that your generation should do this too. I a hundred percent agree with this. I do 100%. too, but I also don't know if you need to have like a whole chore chart. I don't know if you need to feel bad about this. Like, I'm not. I'm not making more work for myself by having a chart and stickers for everything and having it all set up. Like, there's just some certain expectations. When you take off your clothes, you need to put them down the laundry chute. When you, right. um, before we move though. on to the next thing, we clean up the playroom. Like, we do that stuff. But yeah. I think sometimes we're in this situation where it's like an all or nothing. Either you don't make them do anything, or you have it all so regimented to have them do everything. And I like a little bit more of a middle ground with that. No, and I think, but I think it it has to be something. But if you're already teaching them, 
keep your room clean, keep the yeah. playroom clean, put your clothes in the laundry chute, put your clothes away, which I love that you did that. We've talked about in other podcasts that they have fewer clothes. Yes. And everything has a place. Yeah. I think that's a chore. We, we don't look at it that way. We sort of look at it more formally, but anything that maintains order in their own life, yeah. I think is partially a chore. And then I think as they get older, is it, I know, you know, would it be make the kids load and unload the dishwasher? You know, right. what would it be on the day to day? It doesn't have to be. I mean, a family that I admired took all of Saturday morning and they cleaned their house every Saturday morning. Oh, and that never happened for us, even though I thought it seemed like it was a great idea, but that truly never happened for us. But <laughs> you're right. Middle, I think everybody finds their middle way on that one. Okay. This one I love. So this woman says, this writer says that in the 90s, we all disciplined each other's children. Yeah. Nah, kind of. But I think what we did do, and I look at this more, you know, having teenage boys, what was true is, I wouldn't say I disciplined other people's children, but there was a behavior expectation in all of the houses where the kids yeah. hung out. And so in that way... I think it was a little bit of a village of keeping those that group of boys sort of on track. I also think, too, I mean, when they're little, it's more of like an eye out on the others on how you can help keep them safe. We yeah. spend a lot of time yeah. at the pool in the summer or wherever. Yeah. And we've got multiple parents who are going, hey, I've got eyes on them. You need to go do whatever or like, you know, oh, I love that. all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's that's important. And then feeling feeling like your kids have other adults that they can go to for help. I mean, yep. we just had that conversation the other day about if something ever happened to mama or papa and you needed help. Here are the, remember the neighbors that you go to. Remember you oh, go to their good. house because we don't have a phone. Right. <laughs> like right. an actual telephone that hangs on the wall. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it is. So you have to, having those things, but having them feel like confident and comfortable to ask for help from other adults and having other adults in your life that you feel comfortable just helping them and even more so than disciplining them. So if Bernie, and this would never happen, so this is no, this is she's not so well even... Behaved. If she's she never ever, misbehaved a day in her life. Yes. She's never rolled her eyes at me. She's never, never. said I'm a mean mom. Never. No. She's an angel. But <laughs> if she misbehaved and somebody stepped in and sort of admonished her in a healthy way, would you have a problem with that? Uh, I don't feel that great about that. I, I don't feel great about that. I feel like if it was something that needed to keep her safe, that would be different. If it was like she was shoving someone and they were going to fall into the pool and what, or like crack their head on the cement, then I think that's totally fair to say, whoa, 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 no, 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 you know, something like that. But mm. if it was something where she was just like behaving in kind of a sassy way or right. I would feel not comfortable about them disciplining that. Because this writer says, with our parents, there was an unspoken rule that if another child acted out, they would discipline them the same way as their own kids. I That is not, that was not true for me in the 90s. Yeah, I don't feel we that were way. Not, I kind of, I feel like it was a little bit in the 80s and my parents did not like that idea. Yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. think I'm entirely comfortable with that either. That is okay, not good. something See, that I... We don't I'm... agree with everything that people write on the internet. See? <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is easy. Uh, in the 90s, the writer says that everybody held birthday parties at home. Yeah, that's so fun. It's better than Chuck E. Cheese. I'll tell you that. And so I don't yeah. even think this is true because in the 90s, everybody was having their parties at Chuck E. Cheese, which was hideous. I mean, greasy cardboard. 
unbelievable. Oh, oh, oh. And I, I'm a proponent of bad pizza, and that is too bad for even my standards. Yeah, and you know those. You know, it's funny those bouncy ball things. I think those have all disappeared when yeah. McDonald's and all of the companies that used to have those realized that they were the most disgusting germ farms. Disgusting. So those are gone. So yes, and they're in, in a post-COVID world. Those will never exist again. Oh, you're right. No way. If they existed anywhere, they're gone now. I think IKEA still has them, and they're going to be gone. Do they really? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't yeah. let my kids in those. Well, they've been closed for a year, and they, oh. I'm confident they will not reopen. Yeah. Okay. And then she says, in the 90s, parents kept things simple. And again, this is one writer's perspective. My kids' lives were not simple. I mean, my son was a swimmer. We yeah. were constantly going on weekend swim meets. We were, I mean, and she's just saying... As kids, we weren't rushed from soccer to piano to dance. My kids were rushed around. So I, I think that's intentionally trying to make that not happen. You'll Too see. many things. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. I know. But like one thing after another, after another, I, I know, yeah. I do know a lot of parents who, and particularly in this COVID crisis who have found that all that stuff got canceled. If they were feeling overscheduled, right. they are loving the feeling of not being overscheduled and hesitating to go back into that full bore. Yeah. I mean, I think you just have to be mindful, but the, the, the truth of it is, is your kids will pick what they're passionate about. Yeah. And if they're passionate about, most of us aren't going to say, no, I'm not going to take you to swim practice. Yeah. Unless I mean, you, what yeah, I would, you don't have the resources. When I was a kid, we did nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you did nothing. You ate nothing. That's true. We rode in the back of a pickup truck with no seatbelts. <laughs> We had no snacks. We had no bedtime. I don't know what's going on. And just everybody listening, Elizabeth's parents are like the most lovely people. They're really nice people, but I don't know what was happening a lot of the time in my childhood. And I will, and and if I said that to them, they would go, we don't really know either. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love that. I love that. That's true. That is true. All right. Well, listen, parents, march on. You've got it. You can do it. You may have it. Even if you mess up in one of these arenas. Remember, there's only one number one in the class, and who cares really if it's not you? Exactly. A hundred percent. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a review. Rate our podcast. You know what? I am understanding from the podcasting world, Marjorie, that that makes a big difference. It's a good thing to, for us to think about now. Oh, really? You rate us. Stars are very important. Muy importante. Yes. Oh, wait. Hold on. So you're saying you want to be number one? You want five stars? <laughs> You want five yeah, gold stars. Don't bother rating us if you're not going to rate it five. <laughs> well, somebody rated us like four, and the lack of that fifth star was my fault. <laughs> she said that I wasn't coming out strong enough for women's voices. Right. So we lost the star. I'm sorry, well, Elizabeth. Get with the program. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All right. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best of the Nest or go to bestofthenest.com to subscribe to our newsletter. That is a five-star newsletter, i got to say. <laughs> we are the podcast that brings you home. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. 
So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.